This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to the possible you. <laughs> That's the name of my seminar. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in the old city of Jerusalem at Asia Torah overlooking the Temple Mount. Happy to have everyone here and happy whoever's watching this online, wherever you watch it. So the world works in uh, interesting ways. Uh, this world out here, the physical world, is um, is basically a holographic projection, a physical dimension that is uh, that is just a thin membrane. Of, of the outer, of a long, long process that takes place where light becomes matter. So in physics, it's called, uh, it's called uh, uh, theoretical physics, is, uh, is the work of... Daniel, can you move a bit to that side? Uh, theoretical physics is how, how light... They're trying to describe how light energy becomes matter, and it's full of theories, because there's no way to know that. You can only theorize such things. But we have Kabbalah. And Kabbalah teaches us exactly how light becomes matter. And the way it works simply, and as I've shown a million times on this board, is just like this light is, uh, this light is shining down and I block the light, so then you get matter. You get, you get an actual image on the board. It's not a 3D image because of the nature of this setup, but, but the way you get an image is by, is by obscuring light. When you obscure light, well, you get images on the other side. And the entire creation is made of what's called the or ein sof, the, the light of the infinite, which God causes to shine into creation. And then that via these worlds, God filters out that light so that we can be here right now. But that's what's really going on. I mean, that's going on all the time. Um, your soul's there. Um, only a thin membrane of your soul is actually in this room present to this class. And meaning your soul has five levels, and those five levels also exist in these parallel realms. The top realm is called Adam Kadmon, and then there's a level called Atsilus, and there's a level called Berean, and there's a level called Yitzira, and there's a level called Asiya. And we are in the level of Asiya here with our bodies, but in the Asiya, it's got multiple levels, and you don't want to get trapped in some of those levels. Those levels are, until you're in this level, where you're not really trapped, you're just kind of here for a while, may you all live long. Um, you're just here for a while to see how well you can do with uh, mitzvahs, because we're all here to do mitzvahs in this world, and that's, that's kind of the, the point. Now, anyway, the, uh, but the five levels of soul is, uh, there's the Yechida, that's one with God, that's the Yechida which connects to the world called Adam Kodman, then you have a, um, then you have a Chaya which connects to the world of Atzilus, then you have a uh, Neshuma, which connects to Berea, then a Ruach, which connects to Yitzira, and, uh, and then the, uh, kind of connects with Yetzer, like your Yetzer, the Ruach, the wind, because sometimes it's blowing you in different directions. That's the world of Yitzira. And, and then the final one's Asiya. Asiya is our world, but we're at the very bottom of Asiya. And so your soul comes down, Asiya, down Asiya, down Asiya. And then right about where my, the little white is on my pinky fingernail, that's where it USB, USB cable plunk, plops, plunks, locks into your neurons, your cerebral cortex, is telling your 
that little membrane of yours, you know, that you're hearing English right now, that the temperature is the temperature, the feeling of your clothing on your body, there on your skin, the, the, uh, the, the sight of your eyes, all of that is, is um, being reported to that thin little membrane. It's funny how attached we get to um, not even that thin membrane. It's amazing how attached we get to the actual mind to our actual minds because like for example my, I'm traveling this Thursday night for two weeks and, and I'm also I'm leading a lot a lot of things and I'm leading every single day I'm gone major events I'm starting with a thousand people for Shabbos and then I'm bringing like 15 businessmen to Costa Rica where I'm in charge of all the programming that they're coming with me on this crazy journey into the rainforest jungles of Costa Rica, and then I'm coming back to lead another probably 80 people on a very intensive possible use seminar journey. So my mind can go there, and I just immediately get short of breath, nervous, anxious, and and what's happening there is this is now, and that's like next week and the week after, and what happens is they can all like, it's like a drawbridge, they can all just dump on now, and that's that's the source of anxiety. Anxiety is where the future lands on now. And that's why it's important for anyone having that feeling is to take a deep breath and say, I can always handle now. Try that. Deep breath. Together. I can always handle now. I can always handle now. None of the Sim girls did it because they're just, who knows what, some, most of their arms are crossed, so they're like probably coming off some Gateshead type rabbi and they don't know what to do with me exactly. So let's try it again. And we'll just keep doing it until they all say it. I can handle... What did I say I can handle? I can always handle now. I can always handle now. Inhale. I can always handle now. One more time, this time touching your elbow. I can always handle now. Okay? And, yeah, and it's really true. It's really true. So... So what happens is we get doubly hijacked because one way we get hijacked is our overthinking, meaning we get trapped in the thoughts as opposed to the, being the awareness of our thoughts. Because are you all aware that you're aware? Are you aware that you're aware? Sometimes. No, I'm saying now are you aware that you're aware? Is everyone in this room aware that they're aware? Yeah. For sure. So that's two different awarenesses, meaning there's the awareness that's got me as an object at the front of the room speaking. So there's an object... You have your brain collecting the info. That's one awareness. But you're also aware that you're aware of that. That's the little membrane of the fingernail. That's the nephesh. And so you, it's really important to grab that as often as possible so you don't get hijacked by the thoughts, which, as I said before, generally lead to anxiety. And so, and so being aware of your awareness is the, is the access to the, the soul, now, how much of your soul? That little thin membrane, which is 0.000009% of who you are on this eternal spiritual reincarnation cycle system you're on. Meaning 99.9999% of you is, is already dead, and 0.000001% of you is that thin membrane. <laughs> Mazel tov, you're already dead. Just kidding. The... Um, you're, so th- that's just the little party, and that's why it's it's important to recognize that you're already dead. Because if you recognize you're already dead, then meaning most of you is already in the spiritual world. So then you're you're much more likely to stay focused on the majority of you, which is the vast majority of you. You're going to make your decisions based on that, and you know, it'd be really silly to make all your decisions 
based on a like a you know stopping at a rest stop that had a 7-Eleven with Slurpees and like making your whole life around the Slurpees and like everyone's waiting for you in the car and they find you and they're selling like lounge chairs at that gas station and you're chilling in a lounge chair you know and your family comes in and says well, what are you doing you're just slurping a slurping in a lounge chair at a rest stop on the side of a highway and like what are you doing and you're like this is it this is final stop for me have a great trip you know and but that's the way most of us are is we're we're really really attached to this world it's also it makes a lot of sense also in this world is to is that there's a certain you can actually practice with death and it's called ego death because what's the hardest thing of dying? It's not the body part, it's the ego part. I mean, you're, every one of us, think about it, we're all going to lose everything we ever have. And half of you young people never even built anything yet. I mean, you're just like one giant question mark. You look like a fetus. No offense. You're like a question mark. And what, I mean, seriously, who are you going to marry? Where are you going to live? What, how are you going to make money? How many kids are you going to have? What's going to It's like question mark after question mark after question mark after question mark. And then what's going to happen during the next 10 years is you're going to create the question mark. You're going to like send it to a chiropractor or something. And it's going to become exclamation points. You know, this is who I'm marrying. This is where I'm living. This is what I'm doing for a living. This is how many kids I'm going to have. This is where the city I'll be in. Like all these exclamation points. Now, smart thing to do is attach yourself to Torah. Because otherwise, when you turn about 50, all your exclamation points become question marks again. Sorry, 40s, in your 40s. All your exclamation points, they like revert back to question marks. And so, you got to watch out for that. It's very interesting to watch Bali Chuva. I've been watching all my Bali Chuva friends who are all in their 40s now. <laughs> and they're, all my Bali Chuva friends are like, you know, they're all like, they're all kind of regressed back to like meditation and, and all that. Meaning, uh, it's not a regression, obviously. Jewish Judaism's deep in meditation, but they're like, Many of them are like, I mean, they just, all they want is craft beer and cannabis, you know. And it's like, didn't you come from there like 30 years ago? And they're like, yeah. And so, <laughs> it's kosher, you know. And, they're, and so they're, they're back, you know, like with a vengeance. You know, they're buying four-wheel drive trucks and, and, they're, and they got money now. You know, they're at the part of the line, they're running businesses, they can afford all this stuff. So they're like, so like, and they, meanwhile their kids are just like, Whoa, Dad! You know, because their kids are raising yeshivas with black attitude, and like, you know, they, they, the kids are like, "What's going on with Mom and Dad?" So, Balchuv has also become a bit of a question mark later. But, but if you really attach yourself to Torah, so then and make that your exclamation point, it can survive any midlife crisis in your forties and fifties. You make Torah, you just dr drive those stakes. Drive your tent stakes into terra, yeah, like the like the the tablets that were engraven, like engrave your heart, create an engraving of your relationship to terra, and you are saving yourself a lot of money and heartache, heartache. If you know, you know, in the secular world, they wind up usually having an affair or something. But money is like a Harley Davidson, which is a lot safer than an affair, believe it or not. But the but. The, by driving your stakes into Torah, you're, you're going to stay true to your decisions that you made as a Torah person. So you want to really drive those stakes in deep and, and don't, wind up, don't wind up with a bunch of question marks later, which is really lame. 
and and in the end, death becomes a no-brainer because because you're you're if you're into Torah, you're already half there. I mean, you're you're spending your life doing things that have eternity, and you're minimizing the time you have to do. That's like temporal, like things like eating or going to the bathroom or you got to make a living. But those are temporal things. And you minimize those times, and you maximize your eternity choices, and and after a while, you build yourself quite a spiritual realm. But it's a totally different. I don't know if you guys are getting this, but this is a very different perspective on afterlife than probably most people. Most people say like, "This is it," you know, and then and then you get your reward when you die or something like that. I'm saying this is that. This is that. This is that. What? Just because you have this big holographic projection around you. I mean, I know it's pretty thick. You don't want to, like, bang into it too strong and, like, you know, you don't want to hit it too strong because I understand the physical world's quite, you know, compelling. But but if you spend your life now already in the spiritual realm, which means that you're in deep dedication to Torah, you're in deep dedication to prayer, deep dedication to holiday experiences, Shabbos and stuff, deep dedication to mitzvahs, deep dedication to um, to when you pray, you meditate. Not to mention other times of meditation, but at least when you're praying, you're in full meditation, not just lip service. It's not it's not the service of the lips. Prayer is the service of the heart. And it's a vodashivalev. And so we do the service of the heart when we pray. And if you if you make your life about that, so you're already living in the next world. You're already there, really. And then this thin crust is like is like just entertaining, really. It's it's just to, for your own entertainment, the physical world. And it is quite entertaining. Now, um, so we're talking about these parallel realms, and there's there's all these realms coming down, and and we are in this. Thin memory. Now we spoke about do two types of awareness. First is just your conscious, um, just your awareness of my voice speaking right now. That's your frontal cortex. That's just stimulation of the neurons. Then you got your awareness of that awareness. That's that thin membrane. And then you got what that's connected to, which is this massive spiritual entity called the soul. Now that soul is not unique to you. You may actually have. You could have probably 24 people walking around the planet who share your soul. Because the soul, the soul like pops out like in various ways. Uh, what would be a good analogy? Oh, man, there's something like the kid's toy that when you squeeze it, stuff like comes out the... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a net. Ball. It's like a net. Sometimes there's a net around a ball. If you squeeze it, like little balls come out of the, out of the holes. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I think I see my kids with these things. <laughs> Anyway, so you were thinking that big ball when you first saw it and didn't realize what it was for until you started squeezing it. You probably would have seen it as one soul. You know, it's got a body, it's got a soul. But actually when you squeeze it, it's, got, it's really one soul, but it's got multiple bodies coming off of it. So we have, we have multiple bodies coming off single souls. And, and there's, then there's like major souls that have even... Meaning, let's say your body's coming off a specific soul that's got, a, uh, let's say, another 24 people around who you share their soul. But, and so you'd all say you're one soul just with 24 bodies. What's that mean that you share a soul? What? What's that mean that you share a soul with 24 people? I don't know, but in a visual, I mean, it's a little hard to explain, but 
in a visual, visual, it would be like maybe like that, something like that. Uh, so this is the soul, and this is the body. Let's make them friends, <laughs> and so on, and so on, and so on. Now you think this is one soul, but it actually has. Um, it is one soul, but it also is bubbling off of another one, which bubbles off another one because because there are certain souls in the in the worlds. Many, most of them are not in our world right now because we're just we've kind of run out of people like this. But there are souls that encompass whole categories of the souls, and those are called sadikim, and that sadikim are these people that like literally. In that, like all the souls are coming off those souls, and there were even a couple souls that had all six hundred thousand root souls coming off that one person. Meaning, meaning there was an actual human being who embodied all six hundred thousand root souls. We're all part of these six hundred thousand root souls. The reason I said twenty-four is if you divide fourteen million into into four, uh, if you divide uh, fourteen million by six hundred thousand, you get to about twenty-four. So I was doing even math, but who knows? Who knows? Like how many people are really around. Uh, but there are people who embody all the souls. No one's like that today, but, but uh, two of the people, there's a tradition of many different people, but two people we know for a fact where everyone agrees, like whether you're Hasidic or Litvish or Spartish or whatever you are, you're, you're, everyone agrees that the soul of Moses contained all the souls. Vayaminu Bashem Uva Moshe Avdoi, that Moshe was part of our soul structure. And, uh, and also the other one where I just was, actually, I just came back from there, is Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochoi. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochoi also, um, um, he was the embodiment of all the souls. This is why it's really interesting that, that um, on his yurt site, the, the day he passed away, is one of the biggest parties on earth. They say you can see it from outer space. It's a really big party, like seven, 800,000 people um, ascend to his tomb. And it's free food and free drink, and it's 30 hours long. And there's a dance floor that holds maybe 100,000 people. Like, I mean, imagine 100,000 people going like, because the, the band, you know how bands will slow it down and bring it to a jump? Imagine 100,000 people from. It's amazing to watch. And uh, in, the, in the women's section, though, they're not, uh, some are jumping, but most are just crying the whole time. No. It's like a quarter of a million women going like this, just crying and crying. And it's like at the most joyous place, but they're this isn't a cry of pain. This is a spontaneous combustion going on where the whole soul just leaps out of your heart and you just start sobbing. And uh, a lot of the men are sobbing too. Like you'll be in the middle of dancing, all of a sudden you're sobbing. It's really a special day. But the question, what are, what's everyone doing there? Like Half those people don't even know who Rebbe Shimon Bar-Yochai is. They're just drawn there. The souls are drawn there. And I can meet people the week of, and I say, so when are you going up? And, you know, like, you're going up the day before, you're going up the day of, you're going up in the morning. And they, the, if they ever say to me, I'm not going, what do you mean, when am I going? I'm not going. I say to him, why have you never been? And he says, how did you know I've never been? I could be talking like a 45-year-old cab driver. How do you know I've never been? I said, because had you been once, you'd be going. The only way you're not going is because you've never been there before. Once you've been there, you're going. And uh, I, I met a French secular kid 
kid from Paris. His brother, his brother became observant, and he invited him here in Israel, and he invited him to, to this yard site. And the, here this secular French kid, 14 years old, comes to Rabbi Shimon. And ever since then, he has to fly in every single year. Not a, at all connected to Torah. He doesn't even know who Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is. And I met him already in his fifth, sixth year of coming there. And, the, and anyway, that's the way it works. And everything's free, which is, which is really awesome. You don't even have to bring money. You don't even bring your body. There's no room for you anyway. <laughs> you know, just bring your soul. Just bring your soul. Forget, leave your body in Jerusalem and bring your soul to Rabbi Shimon. Anyway, but he's also part of this whole experience. And this is another reason why, um, why uh, the Hasidic world's uh, a very good route for people. And uh, to, to be a Hasidic Jew... And when I say a Hasidic Jew, I'm not talking about any particular type or... I'm not even saying anything about clothing. You don't have to have these. You don't have any of this stuff. But, uh, but because of the Hasidic um, uh, recognition of the spiritual realities of the world, as opposed to just the law, like just the Shulchan Aruch, which I... Oh, my gosh. I've been, I was just at Rabbi Yosef Karo's grave in, in uh, the author of the... the, 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 the Compender, the something of the Shulchan Aruch, the Beis Yosef, but it, it's not just that. I threw a meditative uh, party last night underneath his shul where his base dinge sat, and you can't even get in there. Really, you need a key to get in. You got to speak to the family that's there since Egypt. They're in Sfat since Egypt, and they have the key. They're there for f- like forty generations. And they, uh, and just those who roll with me know that there's no, there's no, the word no isn't in my vocabulary. So, but I'm not manipulative at all. I just, I just set my vision on something. And, and so here we are in there, but it's not just his based in where we're, where we're having all the candlelit, you know, meditations and stuff with simply Tzfat, the band, like one of the best bands out of Israel ever are the band for just what was there, maybe 15 of us? And they're the band. And, uh, and it was Simply Spot. You ever heard of Simply Spot? Oh, they're amazing. And this is, anyway, but inside is a cave. And in that cave was where, and we, I sat in that chair and meditated last night, was where the base Yosef, yeah, and, and don't forget, for those of you who raised litfish, those of you who raised litfish, get this. He would, he would, is the base Yosef, okay? Way before there were Hasidim in Litvaks. It's like 400 years ago. He would repeat Mishnahs. He'd find a Mishnah. He would repeat the Mishnah over and over again until he went into a trance. When he'd go into the trance, his vo- a voice would start coming out of his throat. And the voice in his throat was called the Magid. Many people have had Magids over the years, but the Beis Yosef had his own Magid for years and years. And the Magid would speak um, out of his voice. And we teach him all parts of Torah that were not available anymore just because of the exile, because, you know, since the Romans ransacked everything, like, we've had a rough time keeping things and, and knowing everything. So the Magid te- taught him all the parts of Torah, helped him when he didn't know a halacha. The Magid would help him with a halacha that, to make sure many of the halachas in the Shulchan Aruch are from the Magid. The Magid coming out, meaning the Magid coming out of his voice. The... Um, he, uh, he also, Tikkun Leil Shavuos came from the Magid, the, what Hasidim read on Shavuos, that was from the Magid. 
Um, that's the, uh, it's a little bit of each Parsha throughout all of Tanakh and some other things. But what we read from the Magid is, what we read on Shavuos is from the Magid. Um, he also, and the Magid, though, is tricky. Uh, one of the experts in this was telling me that he was there with us and he said that the Magid will actually try to trick, trick someone who's on this level by going against the Torah. The Magid will actually say things against the Torah to see if the person that he's inhabiting will keep the Torah over the Magid. It'll actually test the, the person. Because you're getting total... This is coming from the upper worlds. And it'll start messing with you just to see whether you're faithful to God or faithful to it. And so he was getting tested, but he was, he was good. It's Rav Yosef Kara, you know, he's like, he could hack it. And, and the, um, anyway, anyway, but the, I got to be in that place, like right in that spot. And all of us were taking turns going in there and meditating this little spot and then coming back to the band and, and the, over there. Um, how did we get on, how did we even get on this? Oh, I was saying about the Hasidim, is that the, the Hasidic world is uh, very much into this. And this part of Judaism is half of Judaism. So you don't want to like a, you don't want to live half of Judaism. You know, a lot of people think if they dot their I's and cross their T's and like didn't break halacha because they, you know, were dedicated to it and they knew it so well. But whatever, you're, you're missing half of Judaism. Because there's two types of study in Judaism. There's the study. Hey, how'd that get up there? There's the. <laughs> I turn around, there are all these loving people. There's two types of study in Judaism. There's Mimudei Hashem. And then there's called Mimudei Ratzon. Hashem. So there's Limudei Hashem, and then there's Limudei Ratzon Hashem. There's much more of this than there is of this, but the yeshivas only study this. If you got anyone ever go to yeshiva or as part of the yeshiva environment, this is what you study. Now it could be obviously some great Torah scholars are secretly, you know, like involved in very. And by the way, doing this sneezely is the highest way you can do it. To do this with great modesty and secrecy is to study Limudei Hashem. But Limudei Ratzon Hashem is the uh, is what is generally studied, and. And so what these words mean is, is this is the study of God or spirituality. This is spiritual studies. This is to become a spiritual person. And Limadei Ratzon Hashem is the, is the learning of God's will. And that is uh, the halacha, doing, doing the will of God, which is the positive negative commandments, to avoid the negatives, keep the positives. And, and this isn't a question of importance because one you do with your body this is what you do with your body, meaning the negative commandments, keep your body away from these things like pork or light switches on Shabbos. Like, keep your body away from that stuff. And get your body shaking cosmic vegetation on sukkahs, you know. Get your body doing these things. This is like, this is the important things of where to put your body. But this is where you put your soul. Because that's the whole study of the spiritual realms. And this is something that the Sephardic and Hasidic community are, are very into studying. And again, the scholarship of the non-Hasidic world, they study it. 
but otherwise they leave it. They, they, they do not share it much. And I'm sure high-level scholars, many high-level scholars don't study it, but, but many do. And the, uh, whereas in the Hasidic world, you're really supposed to be studying this. Now, it never was institutionalized, so no one should think here, and none of these young whippersnappers should think that you get to go to a Hasidic yeshiva, you're going to study it. They don't study it either. Yeshivas are for what to do and what not to do. You study the law. So, apropos, we're talking about this right now. It's Parshas Parshat Mishpatim, which is very interesting. Because last week's Parshat, Parshat Yisra, is about revelation. Okay, you're done with your revelation. You're like... And then you got to like... Eventually, you're going to stop going like that. And you're going to be like, okay, now what? You know, imagine you guys are like dunga, dunga, dunga before Mount Sinai, and after a while it's starting to wear off, you know, because it happened already. The revelation happened, and then all of a sudden you see some waitress walk by with like a holding a tray of like, you know, steaming hot burgers, <laughs> fries, two cokes. She just walks by, and you're just like, that looks good. And then you, and then you catch yourself like, oh my gosh. Like, like that was such a physical moment. Like I'm, I'm, I'm in like spirituality right now, and that's why we have parshas parshas mishpatim. Is the law how to keep the law? How to do the law? Why? What's the connection? Connection is well. First of all, think about it. Every time you've ever had like a climactic moment in your life, your your inner voice always says, "How can I sustain it?" Or it says. I get this, it's such a shame this is going to end. You know, how many of you have been in, a, don't raise your hands for this, but how many of you have been in a relationship with someone where you gave your whole heart? It could be just a friend in school or whatever, but you gave your whole heart. But part of you was always scared, like, uh, this is going to end. You know, like, this isn't going to last forever. And there, there's always that feeling inside that whenever you get to a peak moment, there's a part of us that's broken over the fact that it's going to end. And so, and so what is Mishpatim, this week's Parsha, right after Parsha Sisra, the revelation? The answer is, well, what if you were to live your life based on Jewish law so that you would be a vessel for the continuation of revelation? What if you can live your life based on Jewish law, halacha, so that you would be a vessel so that so that revelation keeps moving in you. Be a vessel for revelation. And sadly, the overemphasis on Mimudei Ratzon Hashem, which is the law, this is the, uh, this is, I guess we'll call this the spirit, getting spirit-oriented versus ritual-oriented. Together they make spear ritual. <laughs> and to be a spiritual person, you're going to have spirit and ritual. But, the, but what happens is we get so busy with the ritual of it all, what not to do, what to do, that we lose the spirit of it all. You know, and it, and I've, I've brought this up many times that you can see it mostly in marriage. It's like a super easy example that if you're, if you're only keeping the do's and don'ts of your marriage, but you never say I love you, you know, no hugs, no intimacy. Yeah. How's, what kind of marriage is that? Right? Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> she says it's over. Okay? And the opposite. What about someone who's just the most, or she, and they are the, you know, they're the most romantic couple ever, 
you know, because they're just in the full spirit of love together. But they completely and totally ignore each other's needs. Yeah, that's also going to be not going to work very well. And this, by the way, for young single people. Now, I know a lot of people here are from observant backgrounds, but anyone watching this, maybe it's not, but the, um, that for young single people, this is why you don't date until you get married. Meaning you don't, you don't get involved deeply with a person until you're married because if there's no vessel, that's what we just said, this is the vessel. If there's no, because think about it. If, if, why would you give your heart to someone who you're not willing or take that heart of someone you're not willing to do what they'd want and avoid what they wouldn't want? Why would you, if you're not willing to carry this person's needs, why would you give your heart to them? Because they're not ready to carry your needs either. So what are you fooling around with your heart for? If this person can't handle you, they also don't get your heart. The way someone earns your heart is by agreeing to carry you with everything it takes to carry you. Other than that, no tiki, no washi. Yeah? No, you, no heart, no heart, you know, no commitment, no heart. And I've mentioned this before. I mentioned this last week. I can't mention everything before, but the, um, that... That this is why marriage requires, sorry, relationships, intimate relationships require contracts. It has to be so hard to get out that it would probably ruin your life. Otherwise, don't mess with it. It's too dangerous. And they, you know, they thought, they thought in the 60s that when they got rid of birth control, now we don't have to worry about this stuff anymore. Like, now it's easy. <laughs> it ain't easy. It's deeply entangled, and it's a massive spider web that you can get caught up in. It's extremely sticky. They took away one tiny element compared to the elements that happen. You don't give your heart to someone who's not willing to hold everything that, you, that it takes to hold you. You don't give your heart to someone like that. You wait to, until there's an insurance policy on your finger, your wedding finger. Until you have an insurance policy on your wedding finger, you have no business giving your heart to somebody. And they, they have to deserve it and they have to understand the seriousness of it to the point where they're willing to, to be that committed. You know, it has to be damn hard to drop you. Or, you know, don't get involved with people. And by the way, uh, I feel bad to say this for anyone involved in relationships already, but... I mean, you should leave that person immediately. Because <laughs> if they haven't popped the question yet, that means if they're, what they're really saying is, I'll be with you till something better comes along. That's ultimately what they're saying, because if they're that into you, so why are they only that into you, but not all the way? The answer is that, okay, you'll do. You'll do till something better happens. And so, any, the, the fact that anyone... And another thing is, is what you need to do to develop yourself into someone worth marrying. No offense. But what you need to do to develop yourself into someone worth marrying, that means if anyone's dating you, that means they're a loser. Because they're willing to de- date you before you're ready. Which means, which means that you're, you're dating a loser who's willing to date you. Don't date anyone who's willing to date you. <laughs> well, you, you 
should always say that. I don't want to have anybody that wants to have me. Exactly. Exactly. But but develop yourself. Develop yourself into someone worth having. And then you see who lines up. Develop yourself into someone worth having. See who that attracts into your life. And and that's the kind of person you want to date. You know, and and not 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 someone where you're at now. You gotta you gotta don't get near anyone who would take you right now. You, know, you gotta get you know a much higher level before you'd even consider it. someone who wants you now. You slap them, just slap them, and they really should probably be slapped because that person's probably not even in for the long haul. So they really need to slap. Yeah. How do you know you're ready? You know you're ready when the people you're close with, because in the Jewish community, we're very close with mentors. Very close with mentors. We, we, Rebbe's, Rebbitsons, like, you know, we're close to people, and they have great experience, these mentors. And you're at their house for Shabbos, and you help with their kids, and you're like part of their lives. And, and they eventually, it might be your own family, by the way, it might be your own family. And they, and they eventually say to you, hey, you made it. It's time. You know, and, uh, and a great indicator is when your older sibling got married. If you're from an observant home where the older siblings get married at a certain age, that's very helpful for you because it creates an internal deadline that you have to grow to. And whereas I pity the fool who ain't got no siblings who got married at a normal age. Because that, that, there's, no, there's no red line of where you are ready. It just keeps pushing back. And so you're, you, don't, you don't develop yourself much. Because it's just like, it's, it's, a, it's a nebulous, it's a nebulous uh, uh, border of when it's time. It just keeps going. And so therefore, why should I really develop myself? Because there's no real edge to that. And uh, we're, human beings are amazing with deadlines. We're good with deadlines. And when your siblings got married, that's an excellent deadline, as long as they're young, got married young. And you got a nice, good deadline. You'll probably do your development naturally. Just knowing deep down there's a deadline like that. And no one develops more than the strong deadline people. Like, I have neighbors, Hasidic neighbors, that you just don't get to 17 or 18 without getting engaged. Everyone, every single boy and every girl gets engaged 17, 18. And, uh, and it's just such a lock, stock, barrel deadline that no one gets married before they're ready. Because you're just your heart does all the work to develop itself to, to get ready. They they're they're gonna laugh their way to the bank, but 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 the problem is they don't know how to deposit money. <laughs> meaning 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 these people are these super simple, you know, like you know, in the gold robe types, you know, they 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 don't they don't belong to a gym. Let's just say that, you know. That, you know. <laughs> it's not that similar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, these people are they're their own breed, like. Amazing Mount Sinai people who are like, they just never caught, caught on to modern day world. Now, you can raise, you can't raise your kids like that, but people who still can, why not? Why not? Everyone seems pretty happy over there. And uh, I, I made the silly mistake of thinking I could and only real, I mean, it didn't take me long to realize, but after a little while, I was like, I think I'd like my kids to be a little more well rounded than the entire community I joined. And so my kids are like, 
<laughs> my kids are like a, they're like a clearinghouse of information for these kids. It's almost like <laughs> I have to tell my kids like don't tell them too much about everything because because they're lined up to be married at seventeen, eighteen, and they're going to figure everything out later with their spouses, and you don't have to tell them everything. But uh, my my kids, I in the end, I wanted them to be, you know, well rounded. I was young and dumb, you know, but Baruch Hashem, I, I, I think my kids have a great appreciation for the world they were raised in, even though they're not, you know, that world. They fit in much more with the Hasidic American scene, you know, Europe, Belgium, London, those types of Hasidic places. My kids get along more there. Yeah. Yeah, you always talk a lot about, um, you know, Really, people should be getting married in their teens, and it's like a travesty that we've like pushed it off for like all these years. And now, like you're saying that like we're really not ready as adults. Like, what's the, what are we aiming for? What's like, what's, what's the a, ideal? What's a healthy ideal in the 21st century? So probably girls 16, boys 18. Oh, you mean for our generation? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, know, I know it's subjective. What would be, I mean, ideal ideal would be girls 16, boys 18. That'd be ideal. But to be real in our generation, I would say, I would say boys should get married between 17 and 20, and girls should get married between 16 and 20. <laughs> Something like that. I think that'd probably be... Like what? You can like your daughter at 16. That would have been ideal. (laughs) My daughter got married. She got engaged right for her 18th birthday. Yeah, she she already had a kid when she was 18. Wow. So. Why is that good to get married young? Why? It's good because there's nothing you can do at this point in your life but make trouble. So if you were ready to get married, you should be already building something. You can't build anything when you're single. Until you're married, you're not building anything. Wait a minute. She had a baby. Did she go to college? She actually did, with a baby. Yeah. Yeah. She's a study business administration. Yeah. And, uh, and she works. As a, today, she's the, the manager of a business. As a business, that's what she does. So, anyway, the... Um, yeah, so there's... Being single is, is a disaster. It's a disaster. You know? No one should be single once, the, once they're feeling those feelings like, boy, would I like to invest my heart into a relationship? Every second you're single after that is, is it's a disaster. Mm-hmm. And, and therefore, you got to do everything you can to, to just make good micro moves towards, towards marriage. You want to make good moves. You got to make moves. But you want to make those micro moves. Don't want to stay single. Single is single dangerous. It's dangerous and uh, f- you don't want to be 40 and single and and because think about what someone does from 40 on is the only meaning in their life is just the meaning in their life is just this the generations they created are, the, are really the meaning of their life. Now it's not that you can't distract yourself but you can distract yourself. <laughs> I know plenty of surfers in California who are just doing a hell of a job distracting themselves. They're doing fine. They really are doing fine. But you don't want to, you don't want to be distracting yourself. You want, to be, you want to be living the deep meaning that God created the world for. Okay, it's 4 o'clock. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a pleasure. So. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.